0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Corridor cast. Right now, it's actually just me. Just me and my friend, Addy Shankar. Welcome, Addy. (laughs) Uh, Dude, so good to see you, man. It's good to see you, too. I haven't seen you in, like, two years. I haven't seen you since before the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, for those out there who haven't heard of you or seen any of the stuff you've made, could you give us just, like, a little intro as to, I guess, who you are?
1: I'm terrible at this. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can take a shot if you want. Yeah, me to. why don't you take a shot? All could, right. could you? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: I'll do it. So, Addie, I guess I will give my like interpretation of like my understanding of you, and then I'll give like the more general audience version. But I've always understood you to be someone who's out there trying to make movies, films, shows, etc., media, um, but trying to find a way to make the stuff that you want to make in a world where it's controlled mostly by, you know, focus groups and, you know, money with strings attached and all that totally. kind of stuff. Totally.
1: Conglomerates that just kind of have narrative Yeah. That.
0: It's yeah. the studio game. It's, yeah, totally. it's big Hollywood, right? Right. Um, but you've actually managed to successfully pull some projects off. Um, projects that people probably have heard of, like Dread is a fantastic film. I really enjoyed it. Um, the Grey, the Castlevania series on Netflix, uh, probably even more that aren't coming to mind off the top of my head right now maybe the short
1: films like the bootleg yeah that's right of course films. of I think course
0: that the power rangers one the punisher one yeah um they're all amazing uh but genome, you
1: truth and journalism there was a dark mr rogers one a dark pokemon <laughs> oh right 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah the dark mr rogers one is my favorite um
0: but you're kind of like back when we started doing corridor digital yes and we were doing like our short films mostly just inspired by video games you were basically doing the same thing but bigger and like in the actual kind of like Hollywood sphere you're getting you know actual name actors to kind of come into the short films and but it, you had kind of like the same idea of like I just want to do this yes
1: and then you're just doing it right which is so rare to find out there with people it, who it are actually cr- making it crazy for me because like you were the first person I met that <laughs> was like I, I was like wow you you're like me you're like, <laughs> yeah but what was uh interesting i guess weird when we first met mm-hmm. i mean remember i had like an office i had like a studio deal i was like making like hollywood studio movies and mm-hmm. like i like didn't want to be doing that. Like, <laughs> didn't want to <laughs> be there. i was like uh but i you know i somehow i fell into this situation where all of a sudden i was like in the hollywood machine mm-hmm. and uh i was inspired by what uh, you were doing well, thank you <laughs> I you know like I like when, when I did the first Punisher uh fan film which mm-hmm. was uh 2012 so I planned it in 2011 we pulled it off in uh 2012 and I guess for uh the people listening who have no idea uh, what this is it was Thomas Jane who played the Punisher in the 2004 Lionsgate Punisher movie mm-hmm. kind of reply, reprising his role um Ron Perlman uh you might know as Hellboy and just kind of a litany of other things he he was in it uh as well but I didn't make it for YouTube mm-hmm. like I didn't un- I didn't know what YouTube was right like I didn't understand that you could just open a YouTube account and then upload <laughs> stuff like I I thought like you know I was like oh this is more bureaucratic red tape like um so we, we made it. Um, and then I didn't know what to do with it. And
0: yeah, what do you do with like a high end short film based on an IP that isn't necessarily yours? Like,
1: yeah. And I didn't really care. I just wanted to get it out there. And I, I'd seen the machinima logo. Mm. I'm also technologically illiterate, right? So I I saw the machinima logo. And I'm like, oh, I should get in touch with them. And so I talked to someone at Machinima and I'd said, hey, I made this thing. Uh, you know, do you, do you want it? I, I. And the person I talked to didn't know uh, who the Punisher was or. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> maybe maybe this thing I've made is like really stupid. <laughs> and then. uh this random person I met just one day like random was like, you should open a YouTube channel. Hmm. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, there's going to be like a lot of red tape. Like, I just don't want to deal with like corporations. And, and they're like, dude, it's like a click of a button. Like if you have (laughs) Gmail, you can just open a YouTube page. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So then I did and just uploaded it. And then it got like millions of views in like a few hours. Yeah. No one else is doing that kind of stuff.
0: You know, it was a, it was like a, holy crap. Somebody actually like with a good camera and good actors and a good crew and good posts went out and actually made a really cool short film. And like, that wasn't really a thing that
1: was happening on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was nuts. And to me, uh, I didn't realize that, hey, there was a YouTube community. I didn't realize any of this stuff. Um, I was just like, whoa, there's like an online distribution platform where you don't have to ask, ask permission. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Like, yeah. Because I was so used to dealing with international distributors who were like, well, cut this or move that or reshuffle this or cast this person in it. And you're like,
0: dude. Why would I cast that person? Shannon
1: Tatum cannot play like a British aristocrat. <laughs> like what the fuck are you, you know? Yeah. But so much of movie making was that before. Yeah. Before, before uh, the digital revolution, so to speak. It was like a litany of middle people who were um, forcing things to be things to resemble things that came before it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's still there's still a lot of that. I mean, you see a lot of that with uh, you know with all like the YouTube red and I guess a lot of the shows happening on like Amazon Prime and Netflix where they're just hiring all the old TV people, where it's like. Everybody kind of moved to those platforms because they didn't want to watch the old TV format, and it's just kind of. But more it's just the same.
1: re. They've just yeah exactly yeah it it's it's weird. I miscalculated that piece. Yeah, because I remember coming to you, me like Nico, sit down. <laughs> I wanted to tell you something. We should, You're the future.
0: We should actually we should preface this that like you and I like about once every one to two years we have a like a deep conversation about the state of the industry. Right. And, like, there's insights that you've given me that, like, have stuck with me forever with these conversations. And, <laughs> and yeah, like, I remember, like, you were the future one. But the one thing that stands out to me is, like, you were talking about how, like, you just want to figure out a way to be able to make the, the movies and the shows that you saw that, you know, you're passionate about without the incredible burden that it takes to make them happen. You know, because mm-hmm. yeah. currently it costs millions and millions of dollars to do the big films. Like, how do you get to the point where you can just make them because you want to make it? Like, A writer can sit down and just start writing, you know, all they need is a, I mean, they don't even need a computer, just a pencil and paper. So there's no, there's no barrier to entry there. It's just your creativity and you get to just go and create, you know, same thing with drawing. But if you want to make a a movie, there is a barrier to entry, Mm -hmm. you know, and like that barrier gets lower every single year. And I think that's a lot of what's inspired our career and what's inspired your career is seeing this change and like trying to get ahead of that and like utilize it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The democratization of art, mm-hmm. creation of art, like the like the, just 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 the tools, um, and like the distribution of it. You know, I I have to believe that future generations will create things that are just completely new and completely original and almost feel like new mediums mm-hmm. and they'll be able to do it because of the things you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You're kind of, you're paving the way for the next generation or next generations in the way that, um, the indie filmmakers of the eighties and nineties forced the art form to evolve just yeah. like the indie filmmakers of the, of the seventies, Kind of looked at how the movie studios back then were just making musicals. They're making like these fucking Robin Hood musicals, and like <laughs> no one cared. And then these these renegade filmmakers came in and they just disrupted everything. And they made uh, a litany of, of movies, like yeah, you know, basically all the classics, everything that we consider a classic today. Yeah, uh, even something like The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Right, that was that was like a rebellious movie back in the day it wasn't like this um something that like the system or this the the system was necessarily uh behind right yeah a rosemary's baby um same thing like mm-hmm. that was kind of an outside the box um yeah.
0: what, what do you think what do you think the i mean the there's a whole bunch to talk about here and I'm just going to jump right to the right to the future because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the past a little bit too but what do you think, you know, right now we have, we have YouTube which kind of started off as a place for people to just upload their cool videos and it was a small community and the community grew and then it shifted heavily into games and then shifted heavily after Vine went down and it's continuing to shift heavily mm-hmm. and of course now there's, you know, a ton of celebrities have YouTube channels, you have a bunch of big media companies that have YouTube channels, the... The trending page is dominated by tonight shows. You know, it's no right. longer necessarily individual creators. Sometimes it is. Um, a lot of the creators are famous, are really just famous because of their personalities. It's basically just fancy reality TV in, in many ways. And it's not all bad, but that's, there's a lot of things I've seen kind of pop up over the time here. But what do you see going forwards into the future? What do you see as like avenues for people to get out there and like make their art again to make films or stories, and media, How
1: do you think it's going to shift? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's tough. Mm -hmm. I think it's tough because the walls have come up again. I think that's the subtext of what you're saying, right? Like you and I were doing this in an era where you're like, I want to make stuff and get it out there. And these film school people feel pretentious. That's, that was, that was your experience, right? (laughs) Yep. Uh, My experience was I'm in the Hollywood ecosystem. I I don't understand what these people are talking about. (laughs) Go off and like do this thing. (laughs) And there were no adults. There were no rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now YouTube is, it's regulated. It's heavily regulated. I'm not trying to get political about it because mm-hmm. there, there is that um, discussion also. But it's regulated to the extent that like, um, we're talking about one of the biggest, most significant, most powerful conglomerates in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you (laughs) know what I mean? Like this is not, this isn't what we thought it was in 2011. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Or 2012 in my case.
0: (laughs) That's very true. I mean, YouTube gets, I think it's like 2 billion views
1: a month or something like that. Uh, Unique views, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Google has all our data. Yeah. You know, if they want to start blackmailing everyone, they can. And there's no legislative body that, literally has the power to tell them not to and look i don't want to go to conspiracy theory because that's just it just is what it is but yeah um i i I do think that this speaks to systemic problems um that plague the distribution of subversive art Mm Mm-hmm If you were trying to make some verses of art these days, how would you go about releasing it? Me? Yeah. Like me personally? Yeah. Like if I was like starting over again today? Mm -hmm. I don't know because I feel like so much of who I am as an artist is a byproduct of like the 90s, Mm -hmm. growing up in the 90s, right? So if I was coming of age today, I think my reference points would just be so different. Like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be trying to do the same thing. I probably wouldn't even be like a, film person i'd probably be like an indie uh, video game developer that's oh. probably how i would do it yeah interesting because you can make an indie video game with like four people yeah and release it on steam right and the gaming industry is not and it's coming but the gaming industry is not regulated the same way that uh, and not gate kept in the same manner that tv and film is mm-hmm. right because yeah. you don't have like for instance I mean, I, I can give you, like, a litany of examples of how this is true, but, but another aspect of it is, like, you don't have, like, video game designers and developers from, like, the 90s coming and telling, like, you know, you, you don't have, like, a guy from the 90s or a company from the 90s being like, well, hot's technically not a game. <laughs> right. But in movies you have like guys like Scorsese who are like, well that's not that's not cinema. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like go away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> that's not cinema. Like, what are you talking? But you know, you know, you have you have like ideological gatekeeping as well as like practical gatekeeping, mm-hmm. right? Like as in you can't get this out there. Practical gatekeeping and ideological gatekeeping where it's like this isn't the thing that you say it is. Mm-hmm. And we are the authoritative body that is the uh that 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 gets to define what this medium is and where it's yeah, where it's going.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like the thing I always think about with that is you know, you talk about well, the algorithm drives things. I mean, you know, everybody likes to talk about the algorithm in abstract. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that abstract. He <laughs> just no. I think the algorithm is like incredibly practical. Yeah, it is. It's conc- it's practical. But then, like you know, the algorithm makes certain things popular, or not makes them popular, but it finds it discovers what people are into, and then decides to serve them more of that. Right. Um, but for companies like whether it's Google or Facebook, anybody for any of them to act like they don't have control over that, it was like, well, you know, I guess it made I guess it made Jake Paul popular. Whoop, you know, uh, it's like. A, you can just turn that off. You can just change the parameters. Like totally. at any point in time, you can just go in there and be like demonetized,
1: You know. And, and I think also sometimes calling it an algorithm uh, is used to obfuscate what yeah. it actually is. Because it's not really an algorithm yet. Mm-hmm. It's more of an incentive structure. Yeah. Right. It's an incentive structure slash funnel. Mm-hmm. Right. And these are choices that are being made. Yeah. Because you have the whole monetary side of it. Right. You know, where it's like,
0: it's the whole almost casino RPG where it's like, you're trying to get more points and you do this and you get more points and you get dollars back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like they want the clicks just as much as like the person making the content to get the clicks wants the clicks. Yeah. Right. Because it's a big symbiotic relationship. Like a lot of times, like corporate entities like act like, oh my God, clickbait's ruining our art form. It's like, Dude, you want the clickbait because you can game the clickbait. You can't game... Like, what you do can't be gamed. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And I think, ultimately, this is why you are the future because what you do cannot be gamed. Mm -hmm. You know? When you look at most content out there, and I'm going to call it content because it's just content. You look at most content out on the internet, on, on YouTube, right? Since the... Call it the corporate conglomerate wave of control. When an, I sound like a fucking conspiracy theorist, I'm really not. Um, like since that corporate wave came in and 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 kind of washed away a lot of the small, smaller, independently minded uh, creators. Um, a lot of the things that seem to Garner attention and uh, ride the wave of this algorithm Mm -hmm. are things that are easily uh, kind of without an identity, right? Right. So they're and they're easily uh, replicate replicatable.
0: I feel like the hydraulic press channel is like a perfect example, you know, or like, you know, a satisfying like we're cutting clay with a knife, like that's almost just like raw content, you know, it's like there's no person necessarily, like our personality or figure. Right. It's not storytelling. I'm not saying that's like, you know, sometimes it's fun watching somebody cut clay with a knife. But it's like, it's more that, you know, that stuff can get 30 million views per video. Right. Versus like somebody going out there and like telling a
1: story. Are Are you aware, though, that you're telling a meta story on top of the mini story, but within each video? You, elaborate. Okay. So when people sign up to Corridor Digital. hmm Sure, there might be like a fun Minecraft video or a Nerf video or like a John Wick video or, oh, wow, you know, I'm seeing that thing. But really what they're subconsciously also signing up for is the Sam and Nico story.
2: Hmm.
0: Like how we
1: make our way through the industry in our career. I mean, your art form has evolved, right? Like, like, remember showing me that zombie video you did? Yeah. But way back when it was like a zombie, yeah, right? Zombie Matador was it? Yeah, yeah. Um it was like in the snow, and like, oh, that one the daisy the daisy one yeah, yeah. the daisy video like you're evolving as people and filmmakers like in real time hmm. that's why it's not replicatable because hmm. your story is your story, interesting, yeah, and your evolution is your evolution and that that's real that's like real right like you and sham just picked up a camera and we're like fuck it we're gonna make something Mm -hmm. we don't quite know what we're doing but we're gonna learn and figure out as we go along and then like people have followed millions of people have followed your 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 journey Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm not saying millions in like the abstract sense like literally like how many millions of subscribers are there on your channel like nine uh nine million on corridor and basically five million on Corridor crew so, you know, <laughs> uh, assuming uh, a great deal of overlap there, mm-hmm. that's millions of people that are, like, following your journey as a filmmaker. Yeah. Which is really crazy when
0: you put it out there. Because, you know, you still come to work and, you
1: know, <laughs> every day sit down at the computer and grind out some edits and record some segments. and Yeah, but, like, the people who, like, designed the first engines. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like in a workshop, like designing an engine, like went to work every day, then they went home and they were like talking to their families. they were like, oh yeah, Ned's out building like a thing. Like had no idea that what they were really doing was building something that would one day like lead to air travel and then like space travel and then like intergalactic travel, right? <laughs> like, the people who like change the world and create innovations that, uh, uh, w- w- and the ripple effects of those innovations, uh, are felt throughout the corridors of history. Like they don't realize that that's what they're doing. Cause they do what you do. You get mm-hmm. up and you show up and you like build a team and you're having a good time doing it. Um, well not always a good time doing it. So, <laughs> sometimes these people like they end up being abusive, but like, you're not that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They're like, yeah, I work for that guy, man. He threw a thing at me. <laughs> he threw the first engine prototype at me,
3: you know? Um, yeah. Like, Guys, today's episode is brought to you by Storyblocks, the one-stop shop for all your stock asset needs for creators and businesses alike. Now stop and think about that for a second. Where else on the internet are you going to get a virtually unlimited library of high-quality 4K B-roll, images, audio assets, motion graphics, After Effects templates, and more, and then still be able to use it in any kind of project that you want. Now, this is why Storyblocks is so good. We use them all the time over here at Corridor Digital. Through their unlimited all-access plan, we can get royalty-free anything, meaning that we can download as much as we want from the site and use it in whatever kind of project we want, whether that's a YouTube video for us, whether that's a commercial project, whether it's a project for a client. We can use their assets in those projects, however, wherever. And guess what, if you're part of a team, talk to your team leader about an enterprise plan. That will get you and your entire team Integrated with Storyblocks, so you guys can use it too. And so head on over to Storyblocks.com/quartercast or click the link in the description below. That's Storyblocks.com/quartercast. So huge thanks to them for sponsoring once again. They keep this podcast going. In light of that fact, let's get back to the podcast.
0: Yeah, you. So like, you've obviously been very aware of like how media and the space of like consuming it has evolved. Could you, could you give me your, the, the Adi Shankar version of like the past 10 years of YouTube and the eras that you've seen it go through? Maybe not just YouTube, but like consuming media. Like
1: what are the, the big, the big shifts that stood out to you? So I don't know anything about YouTube because mm-hmm. I don't go on YouTube. All the YouTube information I get is from you. Okay. Right, Like remember when you guys, you and Sam came over to my uh, old place, like on that rooftop and you guys sat there and you explained to me how like Nerf videos were like a thing. <laughs> yeah. We like you should do a Nerf video. And I like was like, oh, wow. I didn't like. Um, In terms of like, call it the mainstream content, which is like TV, film, and then it's pivot into streaming. Mm-hmm. I can, I can address that. And I feel like there was a major delineation between the three, mm-hmm. at least when I started off in in in, in film. Like so, there was uh, within the film ecosystem. You had studio movies. Mm-hmm. This was like Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony releasing uh, movies that around. So again, we're going ten ten years. So two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. This was mainly. 60 million to 200 million movies that were tent poles, mm-hmm. like so big blockbusters um and uh, 10 years ago studios still took risks with things that weren't that mm-hmm. so things like comedies even uh you know like seth rogan making movies for sony and universal sometimes judd apatow um that went away over time so movies that weren't pretty much a singular thing, which is like an, a, like a giant spectacle action adventure franchise based um spectacle. They just didn't work. Mm-hmm. So studios had to like stop making movies for like $60 million, $60 million. Hmm. They just, they all became all blockbusters. They all me? became blockbusters. Right. Yeah. And even like weird tonal things. So you couldn't really have like, Um, horror comedies for instance right Hmm. like horror movies did well comedies did okay but if you like kind of merge the genres they like just never worked they always went straight to straight to VOD best case scenario straight to radio worst case scenario now when you say never work is that
0: just because there just isn't an audience for those things or is it just because no one committed to actually trying to make a good one
1: uh so I did make a good one I, I would argue it's called the voices hmm have you seen this movie? I've not seen the voices. Uh, it stars Ryan Reynolds, uh, Anna Kendrick. I'm in it as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'm in it. I, I had like braces installed and I like <laughs> spoke with my Indian accent. Uh, directed by Marjan Satrapi, who's like a fantastic artist. She uh, she wrote a comic book called Persepolis. Persepolis got turned into an animated movie that was nominated for the Oscars. Um. Sorry, I just plugged something randomly as an aside. Um, <laughs> but horror comedies don't work for three reasons. One, um, if you uh, one, the United States is less than accounts for less than thirty percent of a movie's revenue, hmm. especially in the independent sphere. Yeah, right. Um, so internationally, comedies don't work
0: yeah it makes sense because there's so many like cultural references and language
1: yeah so horror movies do fine action movies do amazing comedies don't so the more you infuse it with comedy the less uh, well it's going to do internationally Hmm. I'm talking about like the straight distribution model Right. right like going to theaters VOD rentals that kind of thing again the streaming thing changed it altogether which I can get into Um, so back in 2011, you had the big studio system and then you also had like the, the, the independent model that was still working. Right. So this was small distributors all over the world, um, who were trying to buy independent product to compete with the, with the studios. Mm -hmm. So a movie like Looper, for instance, you know, the Ryan Johnson's sci-fi Do you know what I'm talking about? Looper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Looper. Bruce Willis uh, is in a Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yep. Looper is an independent movie. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was put together independently through distribution contracts, piecemeal together uh, and made. So they were like kind of scrapping together the cash to make this movie. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of kind of seminal movies from that period were actually independent movies Hmm. that were made outside of the studio system. So even like Magic Mike, that was an independent movie. Mm Mm-hmm interesting um drive independent movie
0: wasn't the first teenage mutant ninja turtles movie an independent movie
1: yes but again we're going back 90s <laughs> Went but back yeah, too yeah far. it was it was it was <laughs> yeah, totally um and i think the big and then obviously tv was its was its own was its own beast right you right. had like the hbo side of tv and then you had like everything else um i think the biggest changes I have seen over the last decade within the, the the apparatus that governs the production and distribution of content is uh, streaming has completely rewritten all the rules, right? Because as great as it has been, it's also put a lot of those independent distributors out of business. Hmm. Those little guys that were competing with Warner Brothers to try to get... Why is that? Why would, why would streaming put them out of business? Because, um, so let's say you have uh, an independent action movie that you've put together, mm-hmm. right? It's you and, you and, uh, you and Sam are, are going to direct it and it's going to star Christian Bale. Holy moly. Okay. Right? <laughs> um, 10 years ago, what I would have said is like, hey dude, what you got to do is go to, go to like, the American film market or can uh, and sell this movie, pre-sell it to these independent distributors and they'll give you the cash and then you kind of scrape it together and then get your movie out there. You can get it made and then get it, you know, distributed and premiered at a film festival. And I'm going like very inside baseball here. It's great. Um, I love it. This is, I love inside baseball. Yeah, you do? Yeah. Um, problem is those are exclusive contracts right mm-hmm. so when you like netflix is not a us thing it's an international thing it's a worldwide thing right so when you do a deal with netflix it's a worldwide deal
2: mhm
0: yeah they don't want those strings attached right of like limitations of various territories
1: and things yeah. like that they just give it they're to like us. they're like we want it day and date released worldwide so if you have a contract with, like, uh, you know, Metropolitan in France, which is, like, the big independent distributor in France, mm-hmm. um, they want you to not have that deal. Hmm. Yeah. So you're kind of stuck,
0: basically, you sell it to Netflix, or you commit to having to get everything from independent right. distributors? Yes. And then... Or you
1: could do something, you know, kind of odd, like, or, or not odd, like... um there are some movies still that like where it'll be on Netflix in the U S but internationally it's not Mm -hmm. right. Uh, But the Irishman is a good example of this. Uh, this, this, that, um, like the, the, the Irishman was, was pieced together through this model. Okay. And then Netflix came in and just was like, dude, get rid of all these international distribution deals. Like what the fuck? Hmm. And then it became a Netflix movie.
0: So this pressure from, you know, streaming platforms like Netflix to pull people just to make one big deal has basically kind of taken away the life support of these independent distributors and basically dried up.
1: Yes. And also, um, it's changed the value of content, Mm -hmm. right? So if you go back to like 2004, your first run would be the theater, right? Mm Mm-hmm the theater would do something worst case scenario, best case scenario. It's a giant hit and everyone's happy. Worst case scenario. It proves to be marketing for the DVD. Hmm. And there was an entire like life cycle for a movie. Cause you could like, kind of look at a movie as almost like an asset. Mm-hmm. I sound like a fucking business guy. You are a business guy. Am I? Yeah. I feel like I'm more of a crazy artist <laughs> yeah but you're're you're doing it still and that means you had to make a business out of it <laughs> I really have not made a business out of it what oh. <laughs> I've done is i I can explain how the business works but I don't follow any of this shit <laughs> um, I, I'm more of like a student of the game so I like okay. understand so I've, I've I've like studied film history mm-hmm. and then I was like well this is interesting how did it evolve the way it evolved and then I like studied the business of film and then you see how they kind of worked part and parcel together and they uh, to to create uh the ecosystem we we exist in right well I think I think you've
0: always understood the importance of understanding the environment you're trying to put a product out into if you don't get to control the means of distribution yourself you know
1: and like I'm obsessed with understanding how things work and why they work the way they work and how did the thing become the way it is mm-hmm because, you know, yeah, sure, it evolves by, by chance, but there is a lineage to-
2: Yeah, to, how you got there.
1: To how it got there, exactly. Um, what was I just saying before I just interrupted myself? I'm <laughs> like, I'm not a fucking business guy. We were talking about the, uh, how movie's like an asset and you had a whole life cycle you could go through. Right, sure, so exactly. So the movie had an entire life cycle mm-hmm. that it could go through. Um, so it goes, you know, uh, theater, DVD, pay TV- free TV, VOD. And I was just kind of going through, through this entire life cycle. Mm. Uh, now it just kind of is almost one and done with streaming. Hmm. Is that like, is that, does that mean there's less money? Yes. For, okay. So movies are worth less. So it's kind of like, so I said, it's a, it's an asset. So imagine it's a house, mm. right? So imagine uh, 20 years ago, there were 10 ways to monetize a house, right? Like you could, you could rent it out. You could use it as a showroom. You could use it sure, as. A- and also there was like something below the house that was generating minerals oh, right. that you could sell. Uh, You could also use it as a garden to grow fruits and mm-hmm. like, and every house followed this, this model. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden uh, the internet comes in and goes, okay, there's one way to monetize it now.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's it. So every piece of content is now worth less. So what is this? How has this affected your approach to making stuff then? Oh, uh, it hasn't at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't affected me at all because okay. I, I, yeah.
0: But I feel like because, because now you only have like one way of making something.
1: Well, here's the thing. Well, it's a, helped me actually. This yeah. It's helped me. It's really? helped me. It, it, all these things have helped me tremendously. Oh, because there was a business machine mm-hmm. that existed that allowed, that governed what got made and didn't get made and how it got made and how much it should cost and what everyone got paid. It, it kind of, there was a machine behind it and the machine, what I'm really trying to say is the machine was falling apart mm. before the streaming war started. mm and then the streaming wars started really showing the cracks in the machine. And then the pandemic just completely, it was like, <laughs> it was like Stallone coming in with a knife being we like, Ugh, you know, and like, so, um, do you think okay. theaters are dead? No, 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 no. I think that the, the theaters are dead to the extent like, so I want to differentiate between the theaters as in like the theatrical experience, like actually the theatrical experience, not what filmmakers call the theatrical experience where you're like, what the fuck is this experience? Like the popcorn <laughs> sucks. Like there's someone talking like parking's a nightmare. I mean like the actual act of going to a big screen and the communal aspect of it mm-hmm. versus the business model, which is like AMC and these conglomerates mm-hmm. that, um, have, um, made the theatrical experience what it is. Mm-hmm which is basically shuttling people in and out of these dark rooms, you know? Um, <laughs> and charge 15 bucks a pop. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think the theatrical experience is dead. In fact, I think the death of AMC is going to allow it to evolve the way it should have evolved 10 years ago. Interesting. Right? Because these things need to actually be an experience, right? It can't just be Christopher Nolan being like, the theatrical experience is sacred. It's like, <laughs> okay, I guess, but like they're doing a really bad job of it right like yeah it's like i I do enjoy watching the dark knight at my home also (laughs) no but imagine uh you know and there was legislation going back decades ago um that prevented movie studios from owning theaters that's right in the in the u.s it's not like that everywhere like so in korea the entire film ecosystem is vertically integrated we're talking about like one company will own the theaters make the content manage the talent develop the develop the, the material and the theatrical experience has not gone away in korea like people korea is a uh well south korea i don't know about north korea i haven't <laughs> been there i can't speak to it um um but the theatrical <laughs> korea just has like a bang in like 200 million
0: dollar marvel competitor that we've never seen because <laughs> it's like completely locked in the country totally
1: <laughs> and it's just made specifically for um for for Mister 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 Un. I was gonna say Mister Ill, but no, it's Mr. Oon now it's Mister Un now. So, what was I saying? South Korea has vertically. Yeah, yeah, they vertically integrated all, and um, the theater thing is still a thing there. It never. Yeah. Started, there's no debate. Like, oh, is it gonna be? Is it gonna come back? Like, it's been a thing, and it it doesn't stopped being a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once the I seem really anti-conglomerate. I, I, maybe I am. Um, but once the conglomerates go out of business, their business model will have to change. And now that the law has been repealed... Oh, really? That doesn't allow movie studios to own theaters. Um, you know, I could see someone like Disney coming in and starting their own theater chain. I feel like it's just like extra premium disney plus is to like yeah i mean you go look, to the disney th- theater i mean they they, they make experiences right and that's true. what they disneyland have theme is. parks they have cruises the, the cruises yeah. right so y- y- it's not hard to imagine a theater it's not really even a theater anymore it's a full experience that you go in to experience a bunch of stuff and then you go watch the next avengers movie mm-hmm. and the whole thing's a curated thing it's not would you like some popcorn <laughs> you know like yeah. it's a it's a it's a full thing uh um I like could see Amazon doing a, they pulling a similar move. Like the point is the movie theater is going to evolve into something else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll look back as old people and go, Oh yeah, that used to be a movie theater. Hmm. The business model around it. And the fact that movie studios and the theater owners, which kind of, they operated like the theater owners, they operated like a cartel. Mm-hmm. it's weird they're like you know they had an ungodly amount of power yeah that's what no one's talking about like it it's not like the theatrical experience is gone away because of the internet it's like the the this geriatric ward of (laughs) man i'm literally burning bridges uh (laughs) it just kind of kept it from uh, they kept it stagnant they kept it Mm -hmm. from evolving right because it was all about like how do we increase our profit margins right let me ask you a question. Hit me. Um, you're Disney. Okay. You make an Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. You put it in a theater. Mm-hmm. The movie makes $1. Oh, crap. What percentage of that $1 does the theater keep? And what percentage of the $1 comes to you? If
0: it only makes $1? Just
1: period. $1 hypothetically. My recollection is that the theater keeps half of it. Yes. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Like if you made a shoe and you put the shoe in Nordstrom, Nordstrom <laughs> doesn't keep half of the shoe. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, you know, when I, when, I, when I look at the history of the film business, so much of it, because of how complicated and costly it is to make art, um, there's been a litany of middle people that have made it more and more difficult to make things outside the box because of, you know, all these people taking a cut. So everything just becomes more and more risky.
0: Yeah, I mean, if theaters are taking half, like let's say you you do a $200 million Marvel movie, like you need to pull in $400 million right there just to actually make your budget back. But then there's marketing, which is also a chunk. So now you're hitting... 600 million before
1: you break even right. more totally yeah and that's why when you go back to 2011 2012 and you're like why did they all become blockbusters like why did movie genres just fucking go away right when you look mm-hmm. back at like classics from our childhood like yeah back to the future would that get made no fuck no that would not get made yeah. would, would the goonies get made no fuck no because it's like uh, kids you know like anything kind of like a little offbeat yeah went away yeah um and it went away because of this Because you're like, okay, if you're making something and you're minimum having to spend $40 million to market it, more likely north of 100 and then this and then this and this and this, it forces uh, everybody to start homogenizing what they're doing
0: because you can't take risks at that point. Don't actors also have like requirements like you're going to spend this much money
1: marketing with my face attached to it and stuff like that? Not really. No. Just just a few people had that back in the day. Um, Not really. And really the other big trend uh, that I've experienced is actors, movie stars, have gone away uh, and have lost clout. I've noticed that too. Like it's been like kind of a nosedive, like a free fall.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And I feel like Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Tom Cruise... Like, I feel like that's the end of the movie star era to some extent. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you have younger actors, but I mean, heck, even now, like Marvel films, maybe only 10% of like the actual population of the country, 15% actually know who Iron Man is or Thor or Captain America, Mm -hmm. or even said, you know, Robert Downey Jr. plays, they'd be like, uh, Batman, you know, like if you got beyond that, but like, we feel like there's such big cultural things versus like 40 years ago like when movies came out, they were cultural touchstones where everybody knew about it because there's only one avenue versus so many these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I could... So, like 40 years ago, um, movies didn't get international distribution with Mm. the level of efficiency that they do today. Mm -hmm. So you're speaking with a little bit of selection bias as an American... Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It didn't occur to me, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because you just couldn't get everything into every country. Like, countries had, like, blockades. That's right. Were they all, like, there's a lot of, like, cultural protections around countries, too. What you could and couldn't show, like... So, again, there's a a selection bias, but also there's just, to your point, uh, so much media just just straight up media that every piece of it becomes less important but as a whole it's having a greater impact than ever before. Interesting. So every piece of it matters less but as a whole it's more influential than it's ever been. Yeah. This is one of the things I noticed with like films coming out on Netflix versus like when a movie
0: like we're, we're pretty close to the same age if not the same age. And How old are you? 35. 36 so yeah. same age. Yeah I turn 36 next month. I've asked you this so many times. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we grew up in a very like, I think, I mean, I think it was the golden age of movies, at least as we knew, as we know movies, you know, as the late eighties and nineties, that's nostalgia, dude. You think so? Yeah. I just, I feel like the way is like, I feel like at that point they had kind of refined the art form and perfected it from the previous 30 to 40 to 50 years and kind of really had dialed it into something that, you know, was, would really hit hard emotionally and then the way the market was supporting it with, it with all the money that was going into it and how culturally relevant they were, I just felt like there's a lot of big stuff getting made. And there's still big things getting made. But yeah. the observation that I've seen now is like when you have, say, a movie that hits Netflix in about one month, mm-hmm. it's off the front page and it's completely forgotten. Whereas, you know, if a movie came out and you went to Blockbuster Video to go rent it, like that movie would be on the shelves and you'd walk by it year after year after year. And, you know, granted the crappy movies
1: that no one remembered sure. doesn't fall away. Sure. At the same time, I'm not, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but again, there's there's a degree of selection bias here going on. Mm-hmm. One, um, there was just fewer movies, period. Right. So, you know, it's not like Titanic came out and then all of a sudden you have like, 40 other boat movies that are competing (laughs) with it, you know? Yeah. Um, And that's, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. There's just more content. There's just more stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, I don't feel like the art form of filmmaking, like the people who do it, and it's going to happen, right? They'll, they'll, they'll be a, someone who truly breaks out from the digital age, but no one's quite figured out the streaming of it all, mm. like how to make something that like resonates with, with a streaming audience in a way that creates that back to the future. Right. Kind of, uh, we're just seminal. Like, yeah. Just like harmonizes with like a part of your life. Right. Yeah. No one's quite figured that out. And it's because of what you were saying earlier, which is, Hey, these streaming platforms, they, they started like this, they expanded rapidly and then they needed to fill the, the content vacuum. Uh, the endless content vacuum. So they went and hired the, for the most part, like the old, the old TV film people, right? The people mm-hmm. that were making like NBC shows and yeah. Law and order and that, that kind of thing. Um, but it'll be people, not even our age. I think it's people younger, like the TikTok generation that come in and create something that like, you're like, you know, where Scorsese gets really mad. He's like, this is not <laughs> cinema. And like, people are like, who are you again? You know? And then, like I'm the Irish fan it's like oh right, right. That one video on the movie with the really bad deep fake um, <laughs> like, it wasn't a deep fake damn it um, so yeah I think and also if you talk to people that were like seminal filmmakers of the 90s mm-hmm. they were sitting there having the same conversation you and I are having about how much better it was in the 70s Hmm. Where they gonna grow up right because in the 70s like the independents were truly independent mm-hmm. the studios had just given up because their shit was not working hmm. and it wasn't until the 80s when um, corporate america came in and started acquiring hollywood hmm. so they were complaining about the corporatization of hollywood right so all these seminal movies that affected us
0: <laughs> were all the corporate
1: we're, we're corporate, <laughs> we're corp- we're corporate products right yeah. i mean et is a corporate product like Uh, Spielberg and Lucas, like they are innovators in corporate filmmaking. They created the blueprint that lasted for 30, 30 plus years Hmm. of corporate filmmaking. Like, how do you make something that touches you emotionally, doesn't offend, you know, uh, again, that's not a knock that they, again, innovators. Right. Yeah. But it was... We're looking at it with rose colors, colored glasses because that's our childhood, right? Mm-hmm. That's the experience that we had. And here's the thing, I'm saying all this to say that the next generation, the seminal things that influence them are not Netflix streaming shows, it's your stuff. Hmm. It's your stuff. Like literally they're watching you and your journey as a filmmaker and the videos you put out and they're like, I wanna do that. That's interesting. You know, I, I met, a, I think I was mentioning this to you um, outside, I made a friend in Dubai, Abdullah, mm-hmm. who religiously follows you guys, he, like loves you guys. I'm gonna connect you guys via via email because he's a great, very good, very good dude. Um, much younger than me, much mm-hmm. younger than us, mm-hmm. but he was talking about you, uh, not not even knowing that we were friends, that oh. we are friends. Okay, he was talking about you with the same level of reverence. That someone from our age demographic would talk about James Cameron or you know wow. like a like a seminal filmmaker who yeah. made uh seminal content right hmm. um and I think our selection bias tends to be for our age group it's like okay, if it's ninety minutes that it's real art if it's two, <laughs> you know uh, but that's again that's selection bias, yeah, because we are judging what we make against the and using the past that we grew up in as a litmus test to judge the present mm-hmm. but the past literally doesn't exist i mean the 90s does not exist so you are a seminal filmmaker of today. Mm-hmm. well i appreciate you saying that <laughs> That makes me feel good <laughs> and i'm just you know a guy who pontificates
0: Pontius, it's cool. You know, there was one pontification that you had that like blew my mind, and it's obvious now when you look back at it. But it was that shift that happened when Vine went belly up, yes, and how that totally changed YouTube and the space that at least that Sam and I were in, right? You know, and the rest of the corridor team at the time. You know, went from because YouTube was very filmmaker centric for a while, totally, and then suddenly became you know, personality, personality is not quite the right term. Cause I mean, we had antic, personalities, antic driven, antic driven. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, it was all like the characters from reality TV shows realizing that they didn't need to have a crappily edited reality TV show to get people to pay attention to how loud they were. Right. And that like totally shifted the focus away from, I think to a certain, not completely, but it shifted the focus away from creating something to, being something and filming yourself doing it right and like when you pointed out that shift and how when vine went down and all the viners moved over to youtube it entirely shifted the youtube ecosystem the algorithm wasn't ready for it they had neon in place and suddenly that's that is what youtube became and in still, it still i don't want to say struggles it's not quite the right word but it still struggles with that identity a little bit and trying to evolve out of it. Interesting to some I don't
1: I don't feel like it struggles at all. I feel like, you know, their what is their slogan? Broadcast yourself. Yeah. Oh, they embraced it hundred percent, I, I guess. I think this is <laughs> they went, This is what we are, right? Yeah. Cause look. Um I mean there was like you, you mm-hmm. guys, right? Clinton, mm-hmm. uh, who who works here, worked here. Mm-hmm. Uh Freddie, Freddie Wong. Mm-hmm. There were a few people out there making art. Now, did the mainstream media view it as art? I don't know. I viewed it as art, right? That shit's gone. Mm-hmm. Like you're left standing because you built a business around what you were doing mm-hmm. and the business thrives, right? And that mm-hmm. business kind of operates in a vacuum away from the uh the tyranny of the YouTube incentive structure yeah, or algorithm. Um, but if you're a corporate entity, and again, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy kind of anti-corporate guy, uh, but if you're a corporate entity, it's kind of safer to have these personalities running around. How so? Um, it's not that special. It's special to the extent that like, it does take inertia to get up and vlog and film yourself and come up with antics and build. So it's not, it's not without, um, difficulty, Mm -hmm. but anyone can do it. As long as you're, you got the personality for it. Exactly. And the tools to... Uh, capture it right and the tools are readily available They become more demo they become more democratically available every day mm-hmm. as you're finding out as we're all finding out yeah what you do um is a little more nuanced it mm-hmm. makes sense right but i think what has been really like incredible about what you guys have built is I think I mentioned this to you as a negative. I'm like, ah, oh, like this fucking thing. And you guys went off and went like, yeah, like <laughs> let's turn our entire, uh, engine into a reality show. Mm-hmm. And that it became a key driver of, of, uh, audience retention for you. Mm-hmm. I, I literally sound like I have a fucking, like, like a business degree. Right? I don't know what the, <laughs> what are you doing to me, dude? Like, Key driver of audience retention? What <laughs> the fuck? Like I don't even know what that means, but it, but it makes sense when I say it out loud, right? Um, uh, yeah, fuck. Um, but those are
0: the insights that you always have. You you downplay it. You've always had like a very good insight into like the game. You know, it's that's the game around all these things. Because right. I mean, at the end of the day, like the rules of the game are simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's at least for the rules, as I understand them, is make something good to yourself, at least. It doesn't need to be, you know, good is very subjective, but do your best. Try to make a point with something. Try to make it special. Try to make people feel something. A.k.a. go out there and try to make art. And then make sure there's a way for people to access it. You got to get their attention to look at it. But beyond that, that's it. Those are the rules of the game. Go out there and make something. Put it out there. Make sure people can notice it and let them notice it. Right. And then just keep doing it. You know, it's not about doing it once and then be like, "That was
1: it." You know, wipe my hands. And it's walk not away. about spending six and a half years doing it. For, you know, <laughs> making one thing for six and a half years while your buddy makes an entire uh, media conglomerate, <laughs> which we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just you just you have to be okay with doing it
0: every day, right? And you just have to be true to yourself to right. some extent, and and that's it. You know, those are the rules of the game, but. You know, you talk about, like, building, building something that's a little bit different than the rest on YouTube, and, like, not to take the spotlight away from the guest on our podcast, but I do want to talk about that for just a second, um, because there is, you know, observing my friends that have been in YouTube, but also just, like, other YouTubers and, you know, the business people in YouTube, I think the one thing that, like, there's a couple of things that we strive to do with Corridor, mm-hmm. priority-wise, that I think made it so we could be a little bit of that outlier. And that was, you know, first one is building a good team and having a team of artists that, you know, you respect, but they're also you acknowledge that they are they are individuals in and of themselves with their own strengths and their own powers and, you know, the things that make them special. And, you know, when they when they when you join up as a team. It's so that person can do what they do best. Yeah. So
1: you're like Voltron, not like Rita Repulsa, like, you know, sending in minions that don't have a mind of their own. They get their ass kicked. Yeah.
0: Yep. And at any point, what that does, it takes all the pressure off of you. Well, not all the pressure, but it takes a lot of pressure off you because something fails somewhere. Somebody has an issue. Like the rest of the team is independently strong and can, like, keep lifting this entity. Right. You know, the other thing that we really tried to focus on was not like. everybody in the tech world grows really big first and they worry about profits second. And instead we tried to worry about profits from day one where it's like, you make 10 bucks, spend five, make 20 bucks, spend 10. It's like, don't spend more money than you have. Don't grow faster than you are growing. Mm -hmm. Just one step at a time. In a couple of years, you'll get there, but just one step at a time. And so we tried to be just very careful so that we were never in a spot where we were getting pinched. And we are never having to chase profits, you know, because like we yes. grow so fast. Okay. Every now we got to make some money. Like that wasn't yeah. how we ever had to operate. Right. Uh, and then the third one was like to never just never forget why you're doing it in the first place. You know, I didn't start making videos because I wanted to make money. You know, obviously I want to make a living making my videos, but I'm not here to get rich. Right. I'm yeah. here to make videos. And as long as I have enough money to live and support myself and have a comfortable lifestyle, that's all I need. And then I'm cool going out there and making videos with the rest of it. Right. And like, I think that speaks to a truth in, in the art that you pursue. It's like, totally. If, if, you know, if you could make, you know, let's, let's say you're making a hundred grand a year as your salary and you could go out and you could make, you know, $10 million a year with your salary, but you had to make, uh, kids videos, you know, you had to make kids cartoons. And, you know, sorry, like, let's pretend that you, you hate making kids cartoons, right? Because <laughs> obviously there's people out there who are great with kids. I'm not trying to rag on them. But let's pretend you hate making kids cartoons. Some of them are
1: creepy, but sure. <laughs> like, I really just want to make kids cartoons and uh, that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> like those guys. You know, and some people would be like, yeah, yeah. screw it. Let's go do it.
0: You know, I was yeah. like, I'm just going to grind it out for a couple of years and I'm retired and that'll be my thing. Whereas like our, our direction was like, no. Let's just keep doing the things we want to do. And even in the years where YouTube's like not rewarding, Mm -hmm. that's like, it's cool. Let's just keep doing the things we want to do because that's why we're here. And those years will pass. New years will come. And I think that's really, I think this really kept us from burning out. It's kept us happy. And, you know, it's, I think it's the reason why we're still here 10 years down the line. Totally. We had a, we were doing a little talk with like one of our uh, YouTube uh, people that helps us kind of like analyze things. And when the, the the conversation started, they had they've been looking at the corridor channel, um, because <laughs> they didn't know we had a corridor crew channel yet. They had just come in on the like, oh, okay, corridor. That's your main. That's your channel. Let's take a look at. It. They're like, it's a really strange channel for YouTube. It's uh, you guys only upload like four times a year. But you have like 9 million subscribers. Um, You don't have any personality stuff. You don't do any live streams. You don't have any subscriptions. You don't have any. And we're like, yeah, that's because the channel is just where we put our short films that we're passionate about. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing for a decade, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Yep. Let's, let's talk about. Let's talk you about don't your, chase trends. Right. I'm aware of that. You're totally aware of the trends, which is brilliant right like Mm -hmm. like like the time you were like hey man nerf videos are in and i'm like (laughs) right i had a whole idea for like an ultra violent nerf video and then i just (laughs) didn't make it because like um but yeah you don't trade chase trends and you're not making widgets right which you know um a friend of mine you know i have like a lot of like really like old men old 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 men as friends right we've talked about this yep yeah (laughs) So one of my one of my my friends uh, he passed away earlier this year he's like hear a that. innovator I mean he produced an album for the Beatles right so this is how 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 wow so he's he, he's old school yeah um one of the first things piece of advice he told me which is just exactly what you said he's like you know if you're gonna make widgets and widgets are just kind of basic instruments to that are just something basic like go make something basic don't do this Hmm. if you're gonna do this do what you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and that's what you do yeah you know and I think when you explained the profit thing to me I was like holy shit you're totally right I was doing a similar thing on a different wavelength Mm -hmm. right because In my experience, um, filmmakers are so eager to get that blockbuster. It's like, man, can you imagine what will happen if I get $200 million to make a movie? And you're like, yes, I I can imagine. You won't get $200 million to make a movie. You will get a committee making a movie that you are like the scapegoat for. That's what will happen. But yeah, when you said that, I was like, me and this dude are that's when I knew we would be kind of friends for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Cause I was like, we are totally on the same wavelength. You also once explained to me how you were, had grown in dealing with your editors in house Mm -hmm. and how you got really good at like, it's kind of a nuance between explaining what you want, but also giving them the creative freedom to, to, to do that, but not letting that become, cause that's a boundary thing, right? Cause Mm -hmm. at a certain point there's like, It's a balancing act because you don't want people just kind of like shitting on your vision, but also kind of getting their stuff in also. Right. When you explained that to me at, I think we were at uh, Cafe Gratitude. That's right. uh, I was like, oh, (laughs) holy shit. Because like, I'm not great at communicating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Actually, a lot of times I'm like fucking terrible at communicating or I used to be. Mm -hmm. Gotten better. Nice. Like I couldn't have done this podcast like, I don't know, two years ago takes practice
0: and a lot of there was something weird going on
1: <laughs> with like my mind mouth connection where oh, I yeah. like I used to take like really long pauses and I still probably do but yeah and I also just wasn't comfortable with how I looked
2: mm-hmm.
0: how did you approach that like how did you how did you reflect on that and then well, on, grow from it from which which part both, like, both, like, you know, trying to become a better communicator, but also becoming more comfortable with just who you are and how you look and all that. Uh, am I making an assumption when I say you're more comfortable?
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I am. Okay. I am, I am. Um, so, I, I didn't really have a lot of, I mean, I had self-awareness in some degree, but then in some ways, like, I had zero self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? So, like... I think I mentioned, like, I'm friends with a lot of, like, professional athletes and, and, and wrestlers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand that I'm kind of, like, a Pixar character. I'm, like, kind of a nerd. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, I, I didn't understand that I'm kind of, like, a funny person, you know? hmm Like, I thought I was supposed to be, like, Stone Cold. Okay. Stone Cold
0: Steve Austin or Stone Cold as uh, a, Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin. Okay, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah, and I like I didn't get it, and it was actually um. Do you guys do you know who Diamond Dallas Pages? Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Of Diamond DDP Dallas once Page. was like, bro, you literally don't motherfucking see yourself. <laughs> you have no idea who the fuck you are, and once you figure it out, watch out. Hmm. And I'm like, what is he talking? Man, about? I didn't know he was so know. wise. Dude, DDP is like super wise. He's like that, that's why me and him are like. Like, <laughs> homies. He's like very wise. That's super cool. He's like a, like a, Yoda like figure. And also, um, Kanye West. Remember when I was hang when I was the th- that window when I was me and Kanye would hang out. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Kanye really helped me with it. Yeah, yeah. Kanye helped me. Like, I mean, I grew leaps and bounds just just How, from his advice and, and stuff what like that. What was his advice for you? Um. So the, there's a few things like, so one was, um, so, you know, like I I wear face paint and I run around, right. Mm -hmm. And I'm playing a character. I'm being authentic right now because we're friends, but I was like uncomfortable being myself because I didn't know who I was necessarily. And, you know, I moved around every two to two and a half years as a kid. So Mm -hmm. when you're like a little kid moving between not just different cities, but different countries, different civilizations, right? Mm -hmm. Like by the time I was uh, like 13, I'd lived in like eight different places, different languages and stuff like that. So everything just feels very confusing and discombobulated uh, to you. And you develop this kind of this pattern where you're constantly people pleasing because you, because you have to assimilate very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it makes you a little kind of thing. But when I would wear the makeup, I would play a character kind of like a wrestler Mm -hmm. would. And uh, I felt very comfortable in the character because I knew who the character was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he sat me down, Kanye, and was like, you're playing a character like me. Like Kanye West is a character. And, um, you know, I'd never had an adult say that kind of break it down for me like that before. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was just huge. Just being able to kind of like talk intellectually with someone really about what was going on for me, which is, I was, I was so scared to be myself. I had to be this other thing because I didn't know if I'd be accepted as me because I, I probably not probably I subconsciously didn't accept me Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I didn't look like the people around me. I didn't talk like the people around me. I had different, uh, uh, different worldviews than people around me. That was uh, a byproduct of just being from all these different places. Um, so that was super helpful. And then the craziest, I guess the craziest thing was, uh, and the whole, this whole thing was, was super surreal. So I, I had a really bad time in high school because, you know, I was living in Hong Kong. Hong Kong got handed over, uh, it was part of Great Britain and then got handed over into China. Mm-hmm. Junior year, my parents moved me to a, to a, to a school in Rhode Island. So it was like super preppy. I went there, I moved to America by myself when I was 16. Oh, wow. Uh, and then two days later, 9-11 happened. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like the only person that looked like me in the vicinity, right? And oh, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I didn't have a good time in high school, but this was, I i, I didn't, you know, I i didn't know why. I'm just like, I, I remember having a really bad time in high school. Mm. Um, a lot of like anger and resentment as, as, as well. Um, and then we had our 15-year reunion coming up so this is like yeah a few years ago 15 year reunion and um i got an email from the school saying hey are you coming to the reunion because we'd love to have you talk to the students
2: hmm.
1: about your work and stuff like that so like acknowledgements, cool mm-hmm. my first reaction though was like this is like get out <laughs> like, this is all a ploy <laughs> you know what i mean yeah this is gonna be some fucking thing and i got like kind of douchey about it Hmm. to be perfectly honest, but I, I didn't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I said, yes. Right. So I go to this reunion, which ended up being amazing. It was an awesome experience. I realized how much of this narrative I created around this place was just a narrative given where I was emotionally at that point in time, because Mm -hmm. of you know, leaving again, going to another eco, going to another country, another community, uh, just very dissimilar from my own. It wasn't like international the way I was. It was used to. It was very kind of small town, mm-hmm. um, and homogenous. And I wasn't part of the homogenous amoeba, so I felt even more like an outcast. Mm-hmm. And I got to talk to the kids about that, which was really, really interesting, right? Mm and i saw the, the just the, the faculty was the, it, it, it was it was it was bizarre cuz it felt like i was in a movie or a tv show about a guy right cuz i don't it was it was so it was crazy cuz i was like literally going to this place that i'd like built a narrative around and everyone was just happy to see me they were like happy i was there <laughs> you know what i mean yeah they were like, oh man, this is so amazing that you're back. Like, And I hadn't stepped foot on this campus since the day I graduated. Hmm. Um, and so as I'm on stage speaking, uh, Kanye called me. <laughs> and this was the week that uh, he had that famous meltdown where he went on TMZ and said a bunch of stuff mm. and everyone was mad at him. So he called me to talk about that because he was like, You know, uh, so I'm like looking at my phone and I'm like, guys, I just one sec, I need to go talk to a, to a friend. And then, uh, I finished my talk, went outside, sat on the floor, called him back. And we had this whole conversation where I thought he was calling to ask I don't know what, like, like my thoughts on what the, 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 the whole thing happened and the, the, the TMZ meltdown and whatnot. But really, he just was like asking me about how the, the high school reunion was. And I'm, oh, like, man. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's good, good. And then he starts yelling at me. He's like, you are not in touch with your feelings. <laughs> You're in your head. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, what is this fucking guy talking about? <laughs> and then I found out at the end of the year, he was absolutely right. Like, mm. I think I had so much trauma as a kid from moving and like, you know, you make a friend and then you move like when you're, when you're five years old or three or seven or nine, yeah, a it's goodbye fucking, forever. it's traumatic. Goodbye forever. There's no internet. You're not going to see these people again. So I had the, I was like emotionally very disconnected from my entire life. Hmm. Uh, and that made it hard for me to uh, talk because I was intellectualizing everything. Hmm. Sorry, just, I told this whole kind of no, story, but, but it was like insightful. very, very insightful. Right. Cause like no one had said that to me that directly before. Right. Because, um, if anything, I was praised for my intellect, mm-hmm. like, you know, in, in, in school and college, right. uh, post the thing, like the opportunities I got, uh, right off the bat to make work on like these big studio movies and just do the, it always came because I was saying quote smart, stuff so you're always being rewarded for being emotionally disconnected and completely in my head mm-hmm. i didn't know to the point where i didn't know that there was another way to exist hmm. that's
0: really i mean i think that's really fascinating stuff and i appreciate you sharing that story you know it's high school like not to take too big of a tangent just on high school that's one of those things that like you're in it and it's the biggest deal in the world right like high school is the most important thing to you when you are in high school right and then like within a couple of years once you're out of high school you're like oh that's just a blip in my life. It's just a moment, you know, for people, it can be very like formative, but still it's like looking back on it now, it's like, let's just say a three to four year stretch out of, you know, so many three to four year stretches and it does not like define you.
1: I don't have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Because schooling for me was very consistent Mm. as in if you're there for two years, you go to the same place that repetition, the people around, right? Like, um, I feel divorced of community as an adult, because everything's constantly changing. The world's changing. I mean, even think of like how many new words society has invented in the last five years. (laughs) It's more than the last thousand years before it, right? Yeah. So things are changing at such a rapid pace. Um, To me, school is is a callback to a simpler time Hmm. uh, of consistency of repetition.
0: It's also the the only time you're ever forced to be in the same building with literally everybody in the population that's the same age as you. I mean, obviously within a certain radius, but like there's not another moment in in your life where you will be with every other person that lives in your city or your town. That's your age. And so you're forced to be with everybody.
1: Yes. I also didn't understand that like people in the school thought I was cool. <laughs> yeah i didn't get it because i because I, I you know i was like i, I just kind of like corner people and you know um i'd be like you what did you think of me when i like how did you perceive me <laughs> and they would tell me and i'm like what the fuck that's like not how i thought anyone perceived me
2: <laughs> yeah
0: i think I'm so a-
1: but i think that's so much of 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 your childhood is like your mental state casting a shadow and making like these these sweeping assumptions or at least if you're an artist like making these sweeping assumptions on how things work yeah and they don't necessarily like reality distortion amongst young people it has to be a thing because at least it was for me i'm sure i'm sure it's even worse now when you have
0: I mean, we live. We, we now live in a world where you have two personas. You have your online persona and your offline persona. You know, your real you and the presented you. Right. So, you know, it's probably <laughs> that whole reality distortion thing's probably even worse <laughs> than it was back when we didn't have any smartphones or in your, our or your, or your PUBG persona. Or a PUBG persona. Or a Fortnite persona. Yeah. <laughs> if you like to dance. My, my Twitch persona. Yeah. Yeah. So, taking a little turn here to a different conversation. You've been working on a project for about six and a half years. Yeah, we even helped you out a little bit with it. Not even a little, dude. You're a second.
1: You're a fucking second unit director, man. Heck yeah! Thanks to Addy here. Uh, yeah, no, it uh, was actually in large part inspired by uh, the work you were doing. Thanks. Um, um, you know, it was inspired by. Uh, I mean, the list of people that it's, that that kind of inspired this is. Is kind of eclectic because it's like John Carpenter, Paul Verhoeven, Oliver Stone, Nico. Um, <laughs> Look at that company! <laughs> uh, you laugh because you don't see how innovative you are. Oh man! Um, You're making me but blush. you are in that—you are in that pantheon of, of, of great filmmakers. Um, yeah, six and a half fucking years, man. Uh, I didn't under yeah. Guardians of. Justice. Guardians of Justice. How, open, f- how openly can we talk about this? Well, we I, I mean I guess it's it premiered at Can uh well a few hours ago. Oh hey. Yeah. Damn. So it literally premiered at fucking can or Can series, which is the series iteration of Can.
0: It's
1: got to feel good. Crazy. Yep. It's crazy because um I mean it's not a superhero show. It uses superheroes as a motif. Mm-hmm. Uh I didn't want to make a superhero show. I wanted to make um something else um but uh it's crazy because you know can is very off seem this is seemingly very off brand for (laughs) can yeah you you usually
0: think of like wes anderson movies when you think of can
1: like dramas about people losing cats or not even losing cats. Like, you know, just, just like kind of deep emotional. It's like, this is my
0: life as a 60 year old who likes wine, you know, like that kind of thing. And you win (laughs)
1: awards and like, and I'm like, what the fuck we're in canon. The artistic director, uh, wrote like the kindest thing, Hmm. uh, about the, about the, the series, um, yeah, the reception's been crazy good. Um, which is weird because I spent years, um, well, one judging myself and two feeling judged Mm -hmm. and three, probably being judged. Yeah. You know, people (laughs) are definitely judging me. They're like, dude, this guy went off the fucking rails, man. (laughs) In his twenties, he was like doing movies with Brad Pitt and now in his fucking, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? So, so guardians
0: of justice, you know, I, I'm going to take a shot at describing it Mm -hmm. and then you should actually describe it after I take my weird shot. But I feel like it's a culmination of the bootleg universe idea, which you've, I think it's been something that's stuck with you for a long time. Yes. Um, I think it's, that's one of those things where it's like, that's a bug that's going to be nibbling at you forever. Yeah. Um, and, And the bootleg universe, I feel like to back up there is you wanting to, as a filmmaker and as an artist, you wanting to add to this world of cultural icons or even just like mythological icons at this point that define the stories that we know, you know, it's like, you know, like Luke Skywalker, right? It's a mythological figure to me. And like, if I'm going to tell stories, part of it's going to be inspired by Luke Skywalker. And in fact, I might even want a Luke Skywalker like character, but we live in this weird world with like IP and copyrights. You can't just have Luke Skywalker being your thing. Um, and so guardians of justice is kind of your way to take a lot of these motifs, things that have inspired you uh, the different characters, the, the style of stories that surround this and be able to step into this world and kind of quickly get past some of these basics that you'd have to deal with otherwise and then get to start playing playing with these building blocks and doing new interesting things with them.
1: Yeah. Is that accurate, kind of? It's, it's accurate. Um, I feel like there's a... I feel like that's accurate, mm-hmm. uh, totally accurate, and a fair way to describe it. Um, if you're a fan of me and haven't just been introduced to me as a result of um, this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a slight pivot from my previous stuff. And I think it'll cause all of it to be viewed in a different light mm-hmm. because, um, and I think on some level I realized what I was doing with the bootleg universe, right? Cause I wasn't yeah. trying to do accurate, interpretations of, yeah, of Power like, Rangers. It's like I yeah. actively loved the show as a kid and I realized like when I watched Blood Diamond, like oh, this is the same story. It's like <laughs> here they're like, you know, weaponizing kids and giving them guns and there they're weaponizing kids and <laughs> giving them guns. It's like the same shit. Uh so, you know, um and I realized like as an outsider, I have like this outsider's perspective because I am a perpetual outsider, having grown up in not one place, in not one society, not one community. Um, so it's 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 that outsider perspective. I love how I'm playing with my hair out of nervousness when I talk <laughs> about it. Um, and I think like the big thing about this project is it's you know I you remember the movie The Wizard. Fred Savage. that's that the one that the Nintendo Power yeah. Glove? Okay, it's like yeah. a Nintendo <laughs> commercial, yep, <yeah>. but like. <laughs> yep. So I watched that when I was like six. Okay. In Hong Kong. And I was like, where's this movie set? I need to go there. Hmm. And they're like, oh, it's in America. And I'm like, oh my God. And I like literally would go to sleep every day and like pray to go to America. Huh. Because I was like, oh my God, I want to go to America. And I tell my parents like, when can we go to America? There's this place called America, and my parents are like, yeah, we we know what it is. <laughs> We're aware. <laughs> um, and then I got to go to America. Got to come to LA, um, and 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 see it. And it didn't disappoint. I mean, when you when I like turned on the TV, it was like amazing. You had like, you know, pro wrestling. You had all all cartoons and amazing toy commercials and like pizza houses where they had like fucking arcade machines and everything was super violent, but they were like marketing it to kids, which is awesome. <laughs> and it was like, so this project is me taking all those experiences of how I viewed America as a kid and kind of transmuting it into a project, which is why it took so long. Cause I, mm. cause, um, and also, um, um, this is kind of weird, but my memory plays out in animation. Oh, really? Yeah. That is interesting. It's weird. I didn't realize that this was unique to me or I'm not, I'm sure it's not unique to me. I'm sure other people are like this too, but I had no idea that this was not the norm until I asked someone like it. And so the project is like, it's kind of, would you say it has a kind of a crazy pacing and a crazy, yeah. 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 Not in a bad way. Not
0: crazy as in like I can't follow, but crazy in the sense that like, oh, here's somebody that's entirely not worrying about conventions and it's just going to tell you the story and get to the point, you know?
1: Yeah. Um. So the show is how I see the world. Hmm. And that's kind of what like being in my head is like. Okay. And is that, do you think that's why it took
0: so long? It's just because you had to, trying to, Because personally speaking, like trying to articulate things that are ethereal blobs in your mind. Usually takes a couple tries before you even get anywhere close to what you're Absolutely. actually going for.
1: And I lacked the vocabulary to explain what I was trying to do. Hmm. I, I literally did not have the the sentences to say, "Hey, this is what I'm trying to do." Like, remember when I showed you guys like a few years ago? I showed you guys something, mm-hmm. and um, and Sam was like, "Oh, this is interesting. You're using abstract entity." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> what was that was that what you said? And I like made a note and I'm like, I want abstract editing. And like still no one knew what that meant. But, um, but it's like until I had a, something to actively show that was final, mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And like, it's just not a superhero show. And yeah. I think that's the, kind of the joke of it. Um, because there are people who worked on it who literally think, oh, I worked on this superhero show. And they're going to watch it and be like, "Oh, <laughs> Yeah. So why would you
0: not define it as a superhero show? I mean, you got superheroes in it. It's a superhero show, right?
1: It, it, it's not about superheroes. It, it, it's, it's like people dressed as superheroes, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's about it. I mean, there is a kind of a superhero storyline in it Mm -hmm. that just ends very quickly. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just, it's just not, it's, um, you know, the, I think thematically the inspiration was, uh, Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. Oh, interesting. You know, um... And like I didn't know how to explain again, lacking the vocabulary, like I didn't know how to explain to the people who were working on it like, like they thought that they were working on a live-action dark dramatic <laughs> series, right mm-hmm. but I needed everyone to believe that because that's how you get the performances you, right you, 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 you get what I'm saying here because yeah. you've seen it like the the tonal.
0: Yeah, you need. I mean, if you want actors to like give you dark, serious performances, you need to tell them that's a dark and serious piece. Right. Like, no, this, has, this is this is is actually a meta commentary on like this. Like, no, you lose like, your actors. No instantly. one, yeah,
1: no one got that. Like, I didn't tell anyone that they're actually in a comedy, like in a in a in a satirical kind of farcical comedy. <laughs> um, so I was almost like pushing them to the point of overacting mm-hmm. because I was like, look, the more you overact, the better this will, uh the better this will read. Yeah. Um, Especially with
0: now, like how stylized and fast paced and just like in your face isn't quite the right term. I'm going to use it in your face. It is like you need that bigger acting for it to even stand out at all. Right. Yeah.
1: Because I mean, what I, what I didn't have the the vocabulary to explain to anybody who was working on this Mm -hmm. is like, you all think that you're working on a live action series, (laughs) which you are but it's not a live action series. This is a Saturday morning cartoon that turns into live action, not the other way around. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, that's a great Um, way to describe it. So it was almost like I was working on four different things. I was working on four different projects that I knew at the end would kind of converge into one, Mm. one thing, but I needed them to kind of all operate independently of one another. Yeah. Um, cuz i knew hey this piece is going to be this this piece is going to be that this piece is going to be like funny this is going to be done. and then when we bridge them when we but but again like um no one really knew what i was doing until like right at the end hmm. and then uh and then we got into can and everyone was like what
0: the fuck <laughs> that's super cool like first off you know Staying with something for six and a half years to get it done. Yeah, that's an achievement. It
1: takes a lot of fortitude
0: to make something like that happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it, def- it definitely did. Um, you know, it was, it was like, I think there was like kind of a meta aspect of it as well mm-hmm. where, where it's like, um, I didn't want to just make something conventional. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I, I know how the movie ecosystem works. I knew how that apparatus worked. If I needed to game it, I knew how to game it, right? Mm-hmm. What you do is you make an action. I right? I knew what those steps looked like, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to really challenge myself. Um, Cause I wanted to know what my limits were. Cause um, I was, this is going to sound a little egomaniacal, but like in my twenties, I, Kind of just had success, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it was like kind of wild success. It wasn't like normal. Yeah, you're making big. You're making big Hollywood movies.
0: It's fucking crazy because <laughs> not like, a lot of people that are like, doing that. No, and I'm That's like a dream of like so many people, right? And I just showed
1: <laughs> up here and I was doing it. It wasn't, it wasn't you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then like um. And then, like, I was like, okay, I want really want to like kind of stretch myself uh, and learn what my limits were. And then, then I reached the breaking point with this because mm. I'm like, oh, this is my limit. Okay, I, I need, I, I need, I need some of it back. Like, <laughs> I, I don't like, I really like, you know, I think the the project like definitely gave me gray hairs uh, mm. and um probably a bunch of health problems. Um, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it was just it was it was so challenging and also also. Um, I think it was like a year and a half in I was like I don't have the vocabulary the knowledge the skill set the personality to get this done mm-hmm. like I'm like I, I just don't I was self aware enough to know that I don't like I don't mm-hmm. have the tools to get this done yeah and at that point I was like okay so you should either like kind of pack your bags and just be like, all right cool i don't or become the guy that you need to become to get this done Ooh, that's the way to go right yeah and i knew that like okay there's there's like weird um emotional hang-ups that i have and like core limiting beliefs and uh uh, self-sabotaging tendencies and whatever the fuck they are i need to look at them stare them down uh say bye to them cut the cord with them to become the guy that can finish this thing, mm-hmm. or just not finish it, right? And then, so I committed to like the self growth aspect That's in good. order to like become the thing. I, I'd say it's more than more like a couple of years, couple of years in. Um, and then, yeah, and then it slowly so the project transformed me as mm-hmm. well. You know, um, like I needed to change as a human being. I needed to 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 grow, you know, like crack under pressure, grow through adversity. Uh, you know, diamonds are only created under pressure. It's like whatever that cliche is. Mm-hmm. I'm sounding like a motivational speaker right now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this necessitated a lot. Um, also, there were a lot of helpers along the way, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the crew and the team that ultimately assembled to help me get this across the finish line. Right. Cause once you know your strengths and weaknesses, as you pointed out, then you know, okay, I can do this piece of the puzzle, but I probably shouldn't. And someone else, and then you're like, Oh, you, you want to do it? Cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, there was like a whole Voltron thing that assembled around me to help this across the, nice, the, the finish line. Uh, at some point, you've met a couple of them actually Mm -hmm. over, over uh, you've met a couple of them. Like you've met Graham for instance. Mm -hmm. Graham, Graham is one of the, the Voltron uh, Mm -hmm. guys. Do you feel like this
0: piece, do you feel like guardians of the justice kind of, is a little bit of your meta story, at least in this
1: phase, like this later phase of your filmmaking career. Absolutely. (laughs) Mm 1000%. You know, the crazy thing is the only reason I did Castlevania Mm -hmm. Was to learn how to do animation so I could finish this. Really? Yeah. Nice. Like it's <laughs> funny when when there's like this. Sometimes people are like, "Man, do you feel proud of Castle?" I'm like, "Dude, that was like a side project so I could <laughs> learn a skill to do this." <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> That's the story of like every corridor video. It's like, oh, it was actually an ex- a t- a experiment, or we needed to learn how to do this one effect, and it's like, so we just made a video around it. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, learning how to direct in eight different mediums, which is the shows in eight different like that was like a. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And having like n- not done it before, that was, that was, that was an yeah, uh, that was <laughs> that an was ordeal. It was intense an ordeal. Film school. It was, it was <laughs> the most ordeal. intense film yeah, school yeah. you can have. Um, so
0: it would play at, at Cannes. Is it, is it up to be bought or is it already like? No, no, no. So
1: it's, it's, it's uh, it's for Netflix. So, okay. So I did this, this for, uh, for Netflix and it was, uh, you know, there's an executive there named Larry Tans who, um, it's just, I mean, he, at this point, he might as well be a, be a father figure to me. Mm-hmm. At least it feels that way. I don't know if that feels that way to him, but <laughs> it feels that way to me. Um, you know, he he was a supporter of, of, of me and this project and just a champion of the, of the whole thing and literally pulled me aside a few times. And I, you know, I was talking earlier about helpers mm-hmm. and I derailed myself, but and I'm saying not just helpers in the crew level, Mm -hmm. And the team who made it level, but like, uh, and Larry is one of those people because, you know, I I nearly gave up in 2017. Hmm. I kind of had a shitty version of it done that I was just like, all right, fuck it. Let's get this off. Mm -hmm. And he called me up and he was like, he was like, you know, it seems like you're trying to say something here with this. And is this really what you want to put out? And he's like, I just want you to know, like, you know, you, you, you've just done Castlevania and it, it it's done very, very well, mm-hmm. critically and, you know, numbers wise, like there's going to be a tension on what you do next. So is this, if this is it, great. And I was like, no, this is not it. Uh, it takes guts for him to say that yes well yeah 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 i mean look again different just an amazing man like larry tanz is a freaking like amazing amazing man like he should be i don't know what he should or should not i don't want to be an arbiter of that but he's just an amazing dude and i think you know a lot of uh filmmakers in the past that we kind of we revere there's always an executive there that just believed in them championed them supported them um My mom also said the same thing, which was really interesting, Hmm. because there was someone who worked on uh, an aspect of the project who came over uh, to my place and was like, "You need to get this out. This needs to get out. Like, all these people want it out." Like, and I'm like, "Yeah, I was feeling kind of bad." I'm like, "Yeah, you know, there are all these people who like want it out." And then my mom was like, "Why is this guy like?" kind of selfish hmm. and I'm like what do you mean she's like like you're clearly trying to make something unorthodox you have a vision here the dude doesn't care about your vision getting out there he wants this out so that his resume checks the thing. You know, can check off the resume and jump on to the next thing
2: hmm.
1: she's like don't work with this guy and I'm like wow <laughs> thanks mom thanks mom <laughs> Um, and I, I, I say this to be like, you know, one of the things, one of the emotional hurdles that I had to conquer was constantly apologizing for my existence. You Mm. know, um, there is a lot of bravado I have, you know, again, the makeup, the talking trash in, in, you know, that, but some of it's real. Some of it was just insecurity and is insecurity. And some of it is just me fucking around. Cause I think it's funny. Right. And I wanted to secretly be a professional wrestler. And I like, <laughs> <laughs> love the performative aspect, right? Like yeah. it's why I like, was just like dissing Scorsese at the beginning. Like <laughs> normal people don't do that. They're not like, um, but, um, but yeah, like I had to kind of grow past this apologizing for my existence, apologizing for my point of view, mm-hmm. apologizing for being different. Um, thing and again, this is something that Kanye helped me with as well, uh, because he was like playing me a song from his album, from the new album, not uh, the the not this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, was this, one? this was a few years ago. This is the previous yeah. one. This was the year when he's like, yeah, I'm gonna drop four albums, one a week for four weeks. This was like <laughs> this. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so he's playing me a song, like explaining to me how he made it. Um. And again, I, I, I can't, you know, people have their perspectives and opinions and, and they are what they are. But, but to me, Kanye is like in a, like just an amazing person, just mm-hmm. an amazing person. uh, Just a, just a great human being um, and a fantastic artist. And, he was explaining to me part of his creative process where he used Paul McCartney in a song, but like Paul McCartney listened to the song and he's like, where the, where, I'm not in the song. And he's like, no, no, I use part of your voice and like remix, you know what I mean? And I thought about it and I was like, wait, hold on. If Paul McCartney, if I'd like kind of shot a thing with Paul McCartney, I'd want to do the same thing. I'd want to like fuck up his image. And that's what I do with the bootlegs, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's me taking the thing and fucking it (laughs) up. I have this instinct to take something, re kind of consume it and regurgitate it into something completely different. Mm -hmm. And then the moment I get challenged a little bit from a corporate entity, boom, I'm there. I'm fighting back, right? Mm -hmm. But the moment it becomes like an interpersonal challenge, then I just kind of, I would like cower. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings, Mm I've been so fortunate. I was almost, almost had like too much gratitude for the success I had in my twenties. Hmm. Just felt bad, like you know. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hurt someone's feelings. The whole thing. And I don't know when, when we had this 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 whole conversation. I remember the next thing I did is I emailed you, asked you for some footage, went to the editing room, and cut that that commercial that we were just you know. It's like what using your first person shooter yeah, footage and I like ultimate gun game video. Right. Yeah. And I cut this commercial together with the, with the announcer and like the whole thing. And people were like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, this is what I'm trying to make. Hmm. I was like, the rest of it is going to be like this. Hmm. That's awesome. And that's why I keep saying every time we talk, I'm like, dude, you are a big part of this process. Well, thanks man. Do I remember when we first met Is at comic con yeah, and we played that. We had
0: that dark, uh, dark link video or whatever it's called, yeah. Link Shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, Yo, this is sweet. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you're a- Eddie Shankar. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest was history. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: That was that was a f- fun convention.
0: Yeah, that was a good Comic Con. That's my first one. I've only gone like two and a half times since.
1: Do you remember there was like a dude dressed as Deadpool in the crowd? Do you remember this? Vaguely. This is like before Deadpool was a thing. Right, right, right. And I think you and I kept being like, Deadpool's gonna be, he-. you know. We kept. I don't remember. I have this vivid memory of a Deadpool dude with signs, like kind of holding up a sign. Hmm. Um. I don't know why we're remembering that, but it was. It was. Um. Who else was on that panel? It was like,
0: I know it was like moderated by a guy from Machinima, right? I don't remember. Wait, uh, I feel like there was another guy that did like a couple of really cool shorts from Machinima. That's about all I remember. There's like that. I was gonna say that Mortal Kombat thing, but you did that, didn't you? No. Oh no, that, that was Kevin Tantra oh, Yeah. Okay. Kevin, I think I think Kevin he was, was there. there.
1: Yeah. Kevin was there.
0: Yeah. I remember just being worried that like people are gonna find our video too gory and offensive. Like, even know, it's not that gory, but also like all the jank just really stands out when like you see it played in front of a crowd. It's like every weird sound effect, camera bump, like there's a shot that has like our camera lens cases like yeah. on
1: a rock. I remember being so insecure. Um, and I was like, you know, at this point I had my, like my company I was making studio stuff. I think the only reason I was on that panel was because someone at Machinima yeah. found out that they're like, wait this guy made the Punisher thing and he offered it to us and someone said, no, <laughs> right, think that, they, they were like, what the fuck? They're like, so they called me, and they were like, um, it was Jeremy, Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy was like, Hey, uh, next time you have something, let us know. <laughs> I'm like, "Yo, oh, I'm doing like a venom one. They're like, what we're in. We'll, we'll show it. The thing. And I was like, so insecure to screen into this crowd. Hmm. Um, Oh, I remember the Venom thing now. Yeah, it was cuz I didn't go to the screening of because we screened the Punisher one at Comic-Con. I didn't go. Yeah. It's the same reason I didn't go to Can. Like my whole team is at Can. They're like, you know, like I, like I don't like showing up to things cuz mm-hmm. like I get um I'm very sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like I'm super sensitive. So when there's a lot of energy being thrown at me, like um I get really excited and then my nerves fry out. Mhm. But I remember just being kind of a douchebag before <laughs> that panel, right? And I was like, Yeah, um, yo, it's gotta be only me on the panel. Like, who are these other dudes? And like, um, someone who worked for me at the time was like, um, there's gonna be more people there to see Corridor Digital than there are to see. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, all right, they're cool. <laughs> and then um, I hit you up and then we like met. Remember, we had like lunch in my my old office. Yeah. Uh, yeah the crazy old office
0: and you've basically been the like every time sam and i are like we're we're gonna make a movie and like we'd always come to you first and be like here's how it actually works here's how the game's actually played and you'd be like oh okay we're gonna think about this a little bit then
1: and then i'm always like i will help you with this movie as soon as the guardians of justice is done (laughs) (laughs) and that conversation was going on for six and a half years i'm like yo okay the moment this movie is done the show is done Like we are making a series together or a movie or something. We're doing something. Now I have a child. Yeah. (laughs) Another one on the way. And you guys have all like, you know, (laughs) done things with your lives. And I've just finished this, this project. (laughs) You've done more than that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Uh, you know, started a blood dragon TV show working on devil may cry. I'm so
0: psyched for that blood dragon TV show. Wait, devil may cry.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm doing devil may cry, right?
0: Yeah, I just, I'm just saying that because I'm also excited for that.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, When does Guardians of Justice come out? Do you know?
1: um, It will likely be top of next year. Sweet. Yeah. Um, They want to like dub it in in some languages.
0: I love that you're like a person that places like Netflix are turning to now for like video game properties. I don't know
1: if you love that, but I love that. I don't know if they're turning to me for video game properties. Oh, really? Yeah. I think... You're approaching them with video game properties? Well,
0: let me put it this way. I love that if there's if video game properties are getting turned into movies and shows or whatever these days, I love that you're out there making it happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. No, I, I, I dig that also. Um, again, it feels like a huge blessing mm-hmm. because... I don't look at myself as a guy with like the secret sauce or, or anything like that. Uh, I think, you have, I think you have enough of
0: a perspective that makes like video games are weird. Like for, you know, movies and shows and stuff like that. Like taking those and adapting them because you have so many different weird pressures. Like you have the corporate pressure of like, Hey, we make, we publish this video game and you need to tie it into how we sell our game.
1: Yeah. So part of my strategy is the moment they bring that energy to me, mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, yo, go fuck yourself. That's a good strategy. I respond it with a "Go fuck yourself." (laughs) I'm gonna walk. Mm -hmm. Energy, not in a disrespectful way, right? Right. But like, um, how do I say this? I feel like it's a massive disservice to everyone involved if I'm out there making transmedia content, right? Right. Like, I don't want to be making a commercial for the game that's coming out, right? You want
0: to make a piece of content that isn't is what it is. It's its own thing. It's its own story. You know. It's like yeah. I'm not, I'm not watching this movie so I can go buy the action figure. I'm watching the movie because I want to watch the movie.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's where a lot of companies and, and game companies, by the way, are super, they, they what you just said, they're super on board. It's mm-hmm. like legacy media, Hollywood companies. I don't fucking get it, mm-hmm. but game companies are super on board with, with, with that. Right. Cause mm-hmm. they understand their core business. They're like, we are a game company. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no corporate weirdness at all. Mm-hmm. um, so I'm saying that with a bunch of people, out. I'm like, "Yeah, go fuck you!" Like they don't even say that to me, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Capcom is awesome. That's good. Like they're just like super supportive and positive. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like all of them. They all they all are. Like they they've literally never brought that energy of corporate pressure, like ever. That's incredible. Ever. I'm surprised you haven't dealt
0: with that at all. So let me let me ask you. So when it comes to video game franchises, like this is the thing I'm like super right. nerdy and passionate about. Um, you know, you got two options. I feel like when you're making a video game movie, mm-hmm. you have the option to either stay really true to the source material, sure, and bring in the fans of the game, and maybe even capture the spark that the game captured initially to bring in new fans, right? Like where it's just like, wow, whatever. Like like if you if you took Metal Gear Solid One and you just you know, basically took the game line for line and shot it as a movie, you could potentially capture the magic that, you know, captured people into that game back then, you know, for people who would see it now who are new, but for the most part, you're just kind of catering to the fans that already exist. Or you have the option of reinventing it and trying something new with the hope of bringing in new fans, but not necessarily catering to the old fans. Where do you lie on that spectrum?
1: So, I don't think there is such a thing as a video game adaptation. So I, I don't even, like, engage, I like, I, does that make sense? Okay. Like, I'll give you an example. Elaborate. I'll give you an example of this. Like, Mega Man, mm-hmm. Dark Souls, uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert, right? Mm-hmm. All video games. But they're completely, like like, all they share is this arbitrary classification of being games. Like, right. there's literally nothing in common between the three of them. Right. Right? So the way you would adapt one or engage with one has no bearing on how you'd adapt or engage with another. Hmm. Right. So each thing, so I don't look at them as games. I look at them as things. Right. And each thing is radically different because sometimes what you're doing or what you could be doing is um, expanding the lore, making something around. I'm going to get too inside baseball here in a confusing way. So I'm going to, I'm going to just pivot <laughs> I, see. I don't feel like there is a video, thing as a video game adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also as things get more and more, as life gets more and more gamified, I think as and as time goes on, and there's like everyone's a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. And I, again, I lack mm-hmm. the vocabulary to like really specifically, precisely uh, explain what I'm what I'm trying to convey. Mm-hmm. But I don't think an, a video game adaptation is really a thing so
0: is in the sense impact? that like every game story is different so how you approach it is different on a they all have different pantheons of lore and they all have different styles of gameplay and they all have different like yeah,
1: some of them are inspired by <coughs> movies some of them like you know mm-hmm. like look uh, a- as an example right This isn't true, but you've seen it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. Tell me true or false. Okay. Guardians of Justice is also a Mortal Kombat adaptation. (laughs) True. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Like there's so many components to a game versus like a book is simply a literary, it's literary. So you're taking the literature and adding visuals around it, right? Games exist uh, in another kind of realm. Yeah, and sometimes <clears throat> they're not even really stories. I mean, they're, they, sure, there's a story, but there's like so much like weird nuance that goes into it.
0: Right? I mean, yeah, I made a movie out of Battle Battleship. <laughs> not a
1: lot of story. I mean, now
0: granted, it's not a video game. But it's not a lot of holes, a lot of story in that uh, tabletop game.
1: Okay, but I'll give you an example. <sighs> Like, you could make like a Christopher Nolan style, grounded and gritty Metal Gear mm-hmm. movie, right? Mm-hmm. But like, part of what makes Metal Gear awesome is the camp. Yeah, yeah. It's the weird like sound design and the exclamation marks over people's heads and and Snake going like, huh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. So. Um like you you're not you can't just translate the store. I mean, you can, you can't, and that's the that's the beauty of it. There are no rules. So I try to approach everything with like my own artistic uh stamp integrity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess game game people understand this intuitively. games that work. They don't work by accident, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Electronic Arts is like... They're not uh,
0: accidentally continuing to be one of the biggest companies (laughs) making games. No, but they they make
1: games, but they make, like, corporate games, right? Right. This is why Electronic Arts, like, do they really make, like, kind of hits? Like, emotionally resonant hits, emotionally resonant hits?
0: once in a while but not that often right yeah like their batting average It's like their indie studio put out something that actually right. has a cool storyline right.
1: yeah but their batting average is kind of low right yeah
0: for, right. The, big for, yeah, for the big games yeah yeah right? the biggest it's battlefield is a multiplayer thing and you have you but know. you go
1: back to like blizzard before it was a conglomerate right when black when they only made three games and that was it yeah and you know it was just starcraft warcraft diablo yeah like every title was a hit right because this was like a passionate group of artists Getting together to like make something that deeply care about. Like if you look at like the uh, Halo One and Halo 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 Two, it was the same thing. Yeah. It was like a group of passionate individuals, not unlike Corridor. Mm-hmm. They're out there just making a piece of art, then it clicks, right? And I think part of the, the the complexity with corporate life, the corporate system, the corporate world, is you, know, you get people in a garage or in a warehouse like yours or. In a small studio somewhere, and they're throwing things against the wall, and then something sticks, mm-hmm. right? And then they get obsessed with it, and they have to get it done. It's like, like an auteur filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, like any great inventor from back in the day from the history books. They they get it done, and it creates shockwaves and ripple effects that like fucking change everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the suits come in. And then they spent a lot of time trying to reverse engineer, like, well, how did this chair that they threw against the wall stick to the wall? Was it like, the <laughs> angle? Was it, like, the tape? And they're, like, you know, they spent a lot of time and money trying to reverse engineer why something worked. Mm-hmm. And end up trying to replicate it. Which is a fine way to go about life, right? And that's how you get, like, electronic arts. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, it's stuck. Yeah. Just keep throwing different unique things against the wall, something else will stick. Yeah. Reverse engineering, the thing that stuck will just mean that you get a clone of that at best. Mm-hmm. I feel that
0: hundred percent in game media these days Right. and movies,
1: all of it. Yeah. All of it. It's all kind of the corporate interest comes in and tries to reverse engineer. And the artist has already moved on to version 7.0 while they're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how 1.0 happened yeah um how did we get on that i don't know
0: it was a good tangent oh i was asking you about like your approach to video game movies but i think you you answered that perfectly yeah and game
1: companies and and so so i think game companies especially the game companies that i'm uh working with right Mm -hmm. so it would be the ones that we publicly have been announced which is ubisoft Mm -hmm. um capcom craft on with PUBG. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just forward thinking in a way that like traditional legacy media companies are just not. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason they're so forward thinking is traditional media companies, the legacy media companies, they've operated like coal miners or like gold miners, like a miners, mm-hmm. right? To the extent where they're like, they're like, okay, we make a product. So we're going to control the tools that allow us to make the product and no one else can make it. Mm -hmm. We control the distribution and the marketing. So no one else can, if they make the product somehow, they can't get it through our distribution channels. Mm -hmm. And we'll control the actors, the movie stars, the marketing tools that let the general public know that this is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So the legacy media companies, like they controlled the entire process top to bottom Mm -hmm. um for decades right this is why very few movies made outside of the system even got through Mm -hmm. um and if like one got through like my big fat Greek wedding it was like a big deal
2: right
1: (laughs) um and even like seminal movies that were supposedly made outside the system you're like wait that was made by like the indie label of the studio right Sony Pictures Classics. Right. <laughs> so, um, and then the studios worked kind of like cartels, right? Mm-hmm. They worked, they, there was a handful. There were like six of them. And they worked together to be like, okay, we are going to, it's us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We are the, the barons. Uh, we are the gatekeepers. We are the creators of global culture. And they were for the longest time, right? Mm-hmm. Game companies evolved very differently. And they evolved differently uh, because they were basically tech companies, mm-hmm. right? And I think we big tech gets a lot of credit for this, but Nintendo had personal computers in people's homes around the same time, right? Yeah. Because that, that's what it is. It's just a... Yeah. Like, Nintendo created a handheld mobile device before Steve Jobs even yeah. started the iPod, right? So... Game companies are really tech companies, tech companies, and they're forced to innovate every year. It's about having cutting edge technology, right? Mm-hmm. Movie studios, legacy media, they didn't need to because they controlled the barriers to entry so no one could compete with them. So mm-hmm. they're like, Let, let's not innovate too much. Let's not fuck shit up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the best innovations you have are things like 3D you know? <laughs> versus with game companies, like they have to innovate. Yeah, and It wasn't as simple as like, oh, well, we own this franchise, so it's going to, you know, we own Mission Impossible or whatever franchise, and that's going to result in people coming and showing up. Like, as we've seen from Medal of Honor, like, if you stop innovating, great, people will move on to Call of Duty.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, overnight. So game companies are built on a spinal structure of innovation. Right? Like Ubisoft's been around since the 1980s, but the only reason they've survived is because on some level they had to keep pushing. Yeah. And so I think when you deal with game companies, a lot of times they're like easier to deal with than legacy media companies because they're trying to figure out what's next versus legacy media companies are afraid of what's next because mm-hmm. what's, what's next is extinction for them, <laughs> you know? yeah.
0: Yeah. But if you don't change, you're going to go extinct.
1: Right.
2: Yeah.
0: And in a way, yeah. Man, it's always good talking to you about this stuff because you always have so much insight on it. And like you said, you're not a business guy, but you still like your observations are always just good to hear. Like it really makes me feel comfortable about where we are as a business. (laughs) versus like, I'm like, man, Oh, it's so good! I'm not working for the studios. Like you know, maybe yep. it would be cool it's to interesting do a studio movie. But
1: <laughs> just some more about you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like let's look at where we're likely heading over the next ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, the trust in the mainstream media has just completely eroded and is eroding at a all time rapid right pace. Right, mm-hmm. all these mainstream media outlets are trying to move online. Mm-hmm in order to capture an online base and finding that they don't actually have an audience, what they had on TV was a passive audience. Okay. right. So like people watch CNN in the background. When people watch a corridor video, they're actively engaging it out. It. They're engaging with it, right? Yeah. So it's a different kind of engagement. The passive old media, old world passive engagement, like, oh, I'm browsing the, the, the grocery store and I see this magazine that tells me that, I have to watch this new Hugh Jackman thing because he's the most important person in the world (laughs) now is like, it doesn't work the same way online. Yeah. So the, it's not that people aren't being marketed to, they're just having to be marketed to differently online. Yeah. And you have your own streaming platform.
0: Yeah. Which is like, when we started that, I remember mentioning it to you too. It's like another streaming platform, which is like what a lot of people have been saying, but, I think that's the direction we're going as an industry is like, yeah, you pay your three, four, five, ten $10 a month to whatever platform you want to absorb content from. And then when you're finished with it, you can cancel and right. you can go to somebody else. But also just the concept of stepping away from ad supported media and getting into like speaking with your money and be like, no, this is yep. what I want. And I don't want you to have to deal with ad companies to yes. make it. You can just deal with me.
1: It's the future. Yeah, It's literally the, I think that's the future. It's, it's that it's uh, a a decentralized media ecosystem, right? So when I say mainstream media, I don't mean like, that's a very like political term. I don't mean, Mm -hmm. I don't mean it just in the political sense. Like there was a monolith or a series of monoliths that dictated what people in the world consumed and when they consumed it and how they consumed it and their narrative around what they're watching, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The monolith went this is what a good movie looks like.
3: This is what a bad movie looks
1: like. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Cause like to me, Night at the Roxbury is like one of the greatest social (laughs) satires I've ever seen. You know, it's like really a deconstruction of like, uh, the tribal myths around. Well, anyways, uh,
0: we'll do another podcast on Night at the Roxbury. But
1: Night at the Roxbury is a fucking classic. It has like a 12 on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. so
0: critics like reg on it.
1: You rag on it because it doesn't fit into the narrative of what is good. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what people are finding, discovering more and more and more is like, hold up. I have an individual taste. I'm an individual. I have individual preferences. Mm -hmm. I, I don't necessarily fit into red or blue, uh, gray or this or this or that. Like these binary options that have been presented to me as, like a democracy are really just binary options.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And uh, you're, you're part of that wave, dude. You're part of that wave because you're giving people a hyper specific experience that they seek out emotionally engage with. And your end goal isn't to, you know, grow a hundred X (laughs) into a, it's not to do that. Right. Your whole business model is like, sustainable growth.
0: Yeah, we just we just want to make cool videos and stories and the only way we're going to do that is with an audience that wants to see them and then a direct connection between us and the right. audience.
1: And you own your own business. Yeah. Right? So you don't have a board of directors saying like you listen kid. All right, you grew you grew less this year than you did last year all right you gotta grow a little faster can't you do a cat video okay or uh, uh maybe make a fucking sitcom okay kids lie, i fucking love sitcoms let's make a let's make a sitcom okay with guns like <laughs> like you're not having that like there's no like overlord trying to push a business metric Mm-hmm. That ultimately is like a virus, right? because right. the idea that you have to grow more this year than you did last year and you have to grow next year more than you did two years ago that's that's like it's like a virus yeah mindset yeah um no one's fucking forcing that shit down your throat, yeah, so this just becomes like a artistic exercise where you've built a apparatus that allows you to sustainably uh exist in it not necessarily even grow it just exist in it yeah and everything about you has been fucking organic dude and that's that's one of the many things i respect about you or the organic produce
0: section of youtube
1: <laughs> you're like the whole foods of people
0: <laughs> oh man i think like this is the part where i also need to give a massive shout out uh and thank you to all the quarter subscribers because they're the ones who are enabling us to take that next step and to do these transformations that you're talking about and Abdullah <laughs> and Abdullah shout out to you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation with you. It's been nice seeing you again. Cause I haven't actually seen you in like two years. Yeah. Ever since the world locked down.
1: And I got this <laughs> like sick jacket.
0: <laughs> it is a sick jacket. I like I the green like, colors. I feel like I'm
1: a biker dude right now.
0: You could fall over and you'd get back up and you wouldn't be scratched. Totally.
1: <laughs> um, remember when you first asked me you know, on the podcast when you started? Remember what I first said? Call me up and you're like, hey, we're starting a podcast. We'd love to have you on. And I said, I'm totally down. I look fat right now. So All I'm going right. to work out a little bit. And then I'd love to come on. <laughs> right? right? And I haven't worked out since then. So this is growth. Right? Yeah, this I was going to say, this is growth. This is you going like, you know what? Screw everybody. I'm just going to go the on there. The most interesting thing about me is not how I fucking look.
0: You're <laughs> like, that guy in the podcast, did you did you hear him? Did you hear how ripped he sounded? This
1: is so fucking <laughs> chiseled. Like, oh my God, I need to just like and subscribe to that guy. Just, just you know.
0: Yeah. For all the people who are audio only, they're like, cool.
1: <laughs> like, I got people in like. Ireland, they're like, oh my god, I got the like and subscribe. <laughs> he looks so good. Not Scottish.
0: <laughs> You're way better at accents than I am.
1: I love doing. You know, I'm doing an American. We've talked about this. I'm doing an American accent right now. Yeah. Does that does that weird you out at all? Like, do you
0: like do you realize you don't have like an accent anymore because you can just say you can speak
1: in whatever accent you want?
0: Are you like do you have like that crisis of identity?
1: A little bit. I think it's more annoying to people. Like who, who spend a lot of time around me because I start like just talking to them in different voices. Let me hear, let me hear just Adi. Let me hear how you s- hear, talk to yourself in your head. Dude, it's crazy. Cause it's like, it's like all of the different, it, they kind of all merge, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, you know, it's like, well, I'm doing quite well right now. I'm not quite sure. I'm constantly having these like conversations with myself. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, like you know, I think at some point I will convert this accent into like a more like snake pliskin mm. gruff dude. Oh, yeah. Like, hey Nico, <laughs> it's good to see you, bro. I'm Like, hey Adi, it's dark out there. <laughs> mm. Let me get you a flashlight. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, man, dude. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. This dude, is, uh, thank this is so you. So much fun.
0: Thank you. Any anything you like? If people want to. Like keep an eye out for Guardians of Justice, or like follow anything you're making, any any spot they should go to,
1: or yeah, they should just subscribe to your uh, platform. Some more, <laughs> um, no, um, just follow me on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, or Facebook, but really Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, at Bootleg Universe.
0: Okay, so you'll be posting like updates on Guardians and whatever else you're kind of doing,
1: maybe. Yes, just just random stuff. I just started posting on instagram um and it's at bootleg universe because i for a while i was like maybe i should change my name to bootleg universe mm, like personally yeah. like hey boot like yo my name's bootleg universe motherfucker <laughs> like yeah um yeah I've thought about changing my name so many i mean times. you could be mr universe i feel like people would think i was a bodybuilder or something and then, yeah, they probably then would. i would get the body dysmorphia back oh uh, yeah you know what i mean they'd be like Bro, I thought you were going to be ripped and jacked. And fr- frankly, I can kick your ass. So I'm not impressed. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, consider subscribing to the Quartercast if you aren't. And at Bootleg Universe.
1: Yeah, follow Eddie I need some at validation. Bootleg Universe. Validate me.
0: Go say, hey, you're awesome on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: like my shit. <laughs> All
0: right, man. That's it. We're signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.
1: Bang.